Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, <laughs> what's what's the end game? What's the 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 final imprint of the of the human genome? What's the um, what's the final chapter in our uh, evolution, so to speak? You know, I've been I've been really fascinated in the last just three or four months. I've shared before that I went through quite a bit of pain in the last quarter of last year, and I released so much pain that my demeanor changed, and I've been really paying attention to that. Uh, I was talking to Susan. Uh, if you've been a guest on the show, you're familiar with Susan, who does all the scheduling. And uh, even though n- nobody close to me passed away, it felt just like that. Here, uh, I mean, I'm talking November and December of last year, and I'm noticing now that I still feel somewhat wiped out. I've 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 had to reconstitute myself because it it metaphorically laid me out flat, and I felt wiped out. And I've I've done some very conscious things to reconstitute my. I, I guess you could call it a personality, or my persona, or my demeanor or whatever. And when I, I've been working on my psyche every day for 25 years. And I tell you what, something has changed. I, and I love when I have to search for words, (laughs) but I feel, uh, I feel more lucid, more vivid within my persona and it makes me wonder we've talked many times about the the hero or the savior archetype and that and that upper crust that creme of the creme idea of the human genome the divine idea the divine potential of every one of us and in this in this newly found lucidness i think there's a whole new chapter a whole new narrative between me and my soul between me and my heart wouldn't it be nice if we had some kind of a quantitative measure? Well, maybe it wouldn't because our egos would grab that quantification (laughs) and and judge the crap out of ourselves. So maybe it's a good thing we don't have that. But, you know, you go to a weekend workshop, you go to a healer, you you do work on yourself, maybe you have an epiphany, you you have some compassion, some forgiveness, and to get a quantitative feedback about your persona as as 
how much it was elevated, how much change in your persona, maybe a scale from a zero to a thousand. If you're not familiar with Dr. David Hawkins, I recommend you um, just Google uh, scale of consciousness or level of consciousness and Dr. David Hawkins, and it will show you a scale from zero to a thousand, which is kind of more or less what I'm talking about, but there's um, perhaps only kinesiology or intuition to, to derive where you are in your life now. But I feel like I've unloaded so much, I mean, it was just straight ass pain in my psyche. And when I was in that pain, when I was going through that pain, I chose to be conscious and stay fully present. And I could see like all these episodes from past lives of me, you know, dying in a flood, forest fire, get my noggin chopped off in the town square by a guillotine, countless battles with blunt, lousy swords. And 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 it was like an accumulation. Well, I just had the thought, how the hell could you, uh, how could you accumulate that much pain in a single episode? You couldn't. I don't think so. You'd probably go into shock, and then you wouldn't feel it, and so you wouldn't be um, processing it. Anyway, I digress. Um, But the reason I bring this up is tonight's episode. Tonight, our episode is Discover Your Authentic Self, and our guest is Sherry Dillard. Discover Your Authentic Self. What I'm getting at with this uh, monologue is I don't think your authentic self is a destination. Like once you take the exit off the proverbial superhighway on your spiritual journey, once you take the exit, you've arrived at your authenticity, and that's that, and you can button it up. I think your authenticity might evolve as you evolve your consciousness. What a curious thought. Tonight's show is pre-recorded. I think you're going to enjoy it. Our guest tonight, again, is Sherry Dillard. She has been a professional psychic, medium, and therapist for over 30 years and has given over 50,000 readings worldwide. She taught intuition development at Duke University Continuing Studies and has led workshops and classes internationally. She has been featured on radio and television for her work as a psychic detective. Additionally, she holds a Master of Divinity degree in New Thought Pastoral Counseling. And you can learn more about Sherry at sherrydillard.com. That's S-H-E-R-R-I-E-D-I-L-L-A-R-D. 
Discover your authentic self. Be you, be free, be happy is the name of her latest book. Join me in uh, enjoying this episode that, again, was pre-recorded. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the show, Sherry. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. Discover your authentic self. I like to get clear with terms, especially the idea of authentic self. When you think about your authentic self or the authentic self of a person, what is that authenticity? How do we how do we describe it? Good question. Um, authentic in the way that I understand it and the way that I have kind of drawn from that for writing the book is our core self, which it does include our personality, and it's kind of who we are without the layers of accumulated beliefs that we have unconsciously or consciously, you know, taken on over time uh, without the expectations, too, that others may have put on ourselves or we have put on ourselves uh, without some kind of you know, we're always the product of our environment to a certain extent. It doesn't form us completely, obviously. But, you know, some social, cultural influences, too, can play into a sense of self. It can play into a sense of, um, for instance, if we are not culturally, as a woman, uh, what people would think of as a beautiful person or we have more weight on us than you know, what others standard, whatever that is, we can accumulate beliefs or ideas about ourselves, whether that's I'm unattractive or I eat too much or whatever that might be. And that's just an example. It plays out in so many different ways with people. But it's that self, that authentic self of who we are would be underneath those layers as those layers kind of drop away. It's that pure energy, it's our personality, like I said, but it's also our soul self, too. It's also kind of that impulse, that deeper impulse within us that speaks to our path in life, what our soul has come into life to experience, to learn, to grow. There's also some karma there, too. I don't necessarily consider karma part of the authenticity of the self. But as we come into this world, it's definitely a guiding influence. And the interesting thing is, as we move through life, we can become both more authentic as we follow our soul path and also less authentic if we accumulate too many beliefs about ourselves and too many assumptions and expectations that don't really speak to that core of who we are. So it's always a process, you know, it's nothing that we get to and we think, okay, yes, this is me. I mean, we do that, absolutely, and that's a very, very good thing. But at the same hand, there's always a process where we're always discovering more and more all through life, more of that authentic, soulful, spark, life, light of who we are. And and experiencing that and expressing it. 
I like that. Well, now, when we talk about our sense of self, the elephant in the room is our ego. (laughs) And uh, so, hypothetically, as I'm making this up, somebody you know, gets a crap beat out of them every day at school and they're bullied and and fast forward a few decades and now they're an adult and their ego's tired of taking crap from other people and they want to be a cop to pack a pistol and have a little sense of dominance over other people and a sense of safety for themselves. That persona might think that they're being authentic, being a cop, but it's kind of like they're a cop for the wrong reason, so to speak. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of an ego fear based uh, strategy. Right. If we're new to the idea of our authentic self, what are some of the traps of thinking you've arrived when actually you haven't? Well, you know, I think like you know, to me, it's a process again, and sometimes. We have arrived as far as we can get at a certain moment in time. It's always, if you look at it kind of as the rungs of a ladder, we'll say, where for that person that was beat up all of their life, their childhood, or, or bullied and teased, for them to become a police person, policeman, um, maybe one, you know, it, it's probably a step up that ladder for them because they're saying, and to some extent, I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be intimidated. I have authority. And that's their way of, of gaining power, of having more of a sense of power. Now, it doesn't mean, though, that that's the end point. And that's where we sometimes get into trouble, is because we reach an end point. We say, okay, well, this is me. I'm a police person, and no one's bullying me. And there hasn't maybe been enough processing about that motivation, like you said, in terms of what do I take into this job that might not be so great for other people. You know, do I bully people as a police person? Right. So the process would be, and the ego, believe it or not, can actually be helpful in this sometimes because our ego can, you know, for me, the ego is all about, um, not entirely, let me take that back, but there's an aspect of the ego that can actually motivate and move us in the world to express more of who we are. And like I said, the issue would be saying, okay, I've arrived, this is me. Instead of saying, instead of allowing that process to continue, because at some point, if you've been bullied all your life and you become someone who has authority over others, and obviously have weapons, and obviously, you know, it's a physical job like that, there's going to be a point where internally something's needing to come up, some healing's going to need to happen. Unless there's further processing, it's basically going to hit a wall psychologically and emotionally, and that's when the idea of, of an authentic self comes into important because we can understand that, yeah, we're not our job. Our authentic self is never our job. It's an expression, perhaps, of our authenticity, but the authentic self is is deeper than that. It's something more core that 
you know, can express itself in so many different ways, so many different occupations, so many different uh, kinds of relationships, but the authentic self is not that either. I like I like that. I like what um, you you're pointing out in that authenticity isn't a destination; it's a journey. It's not like you mm-hmm. pull up and arrive and you're done. For myself, uh, when my heart told me to write books, my ego argued with my heart for about six years <laughs> oh, yeah. and and uh, fast forward a few decades and I really um, I appreciate this wisdom about myself that's not my ego mind and I recognize that it has perhaps a gigantic vision of my life as potential. And it, it, it seems like the ego is the lowest common denominator. <laughs> like the ego can is free to tip the card over at any time and often does. It doesn't mean the universe won't get out the cosmic two-by-four and recalibrate you, but the... The the idea of my inspiration being this bottomless well of new potential, our our authenticity really has. Uh, I see a metric to it because if the ego, the, the the one that executes action, when the ego comes around and gets in step gets on board with that authentic expression, then the pacing, the cadence, so to speak, can accelerate. What is your experience with your authentic self been over the years? Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. For me, gosh, it's been such a journey and it still is. <laughs> Um, you know, I came from a home where uh, there was, it was a very dysfunctional family, and the way that I was perceived in my home, the way I was brought up, um, was, you know, just to give you an example, I heard you're a spoiled, rotten brat probably every day. So I grew up really you know, with a lot of, of um, labels, a lot of negative ideas about who I was. There was a part of me, though, even when I was young, very young, I, there was a part of me that really had a sense that wasn't me, though. Now, it doesn't mean that that didn't cause suffering and a lot of um, having to work through it. I had to do that. But there was a spark in me that, just couldn't take that in as really who I was. And so my feeling is that for me, I I feel like I went back, you know, at the very beginning of my life, I can go all that way back there and realize that I feel like that was my authentic self, was that part of me that just kind of knew 
that what people, my family, my parents were telling me about me really was not me. And that kept me going and still does throughout my life. That I, I and again, it, it, it wasn't... It wasn't an easy process to kind of move through that, and also because I was a very intuitive psychic child too, in a family that didn't. It just, you know, it just wasn't something that existed basically, in a very religious family too, that I had to, you know, it, it's really spurred on my journey in life to become more of who I am and to really help reinforce. Um, the work I do, I had to get there too, to understand that, you know, it's okay to not have that acceptance and to be a misunderstood at times because the most important thing is really our relationship with ourself, which includes our spirit, which includes our soul, which includes a higher presence and power, if that's our belief. And so my journey has really been a spiritual journey in many ways, although at the time I wouldn't have put it in that framework. I would have said that I was just trying to basically, um, you know, get through life, really, and without a lot of suffering. Um, so, you know, and along the way, I, you know, there is a lot um, of that ego that, you know, wants, to vice, like you said, for that attention of, of what part of us is us. And the ego doesn't let loose easily. You know, the ego will do all kinds of things to get our attention, to um, engage us entirely with its agenda. And the spirit, you know, that soul energy within us can be kind of quiet. You know, it, it doesn't scream and yell at us like um, our ego does. Now, it can get our attention, though, obviously. We all know that through, you know, events in our lives and different things. But it, you know, on top of everything that we're conditioned with, within ourselves there's a mechanism, which is the ego, that really is on board with all of that in some ways because it's not a very wise part of us. You know, it's not a... It's a very self-serving part of us, and that can definitely conflict with our growth and our process of self-awareness and really very much so with that journey of the authentic self. Nice. Nice. I like that. Now, a lot of times we'll have a life purpose where the theme, so to speak, is perhaps constant and anchored in per, like formative decades and then later on in life or the our our life path might have us pivot and turn and change our dynamic the the curious thing about the last couple of years is in in 2019 had we talked to each other, mm-hmm. the world would seem normal and perhaps predictable and familiar. And then I think a really big gift came along where normal got tipped over 
and there's kind of a void of normal, and humanity's really perhaps uh, searching for a more authentic narrative for itself collectively, and sometimes our own life purpose. Like for myself, I got cracked open at the age of 35, and my life trajectory changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Millions, if not billions of people have been cracked open, how does our authenticity come into play when there's such huge changes in the collective narrative and and what i'm what I'm poking at here is my sense is a lot of the audience is going to be getting new data for their life, new inspiration, new opportunities and and look at how to be aware enough to sense that and pick up on it and walk through the chaos of the karmic tsunami while maintaining our authenticity, if that makes sense. Yeah, very good. Wow, boy, that was incredible how you wove all that together. That was pretty amazing. Um, Wow. Yeah, well, I think you just said it all, really. I, I feel like <laughs> you really did. You, in, in a very concise, really well, well-spoken way. Um, I agree. I completely agree. I feel that, um, yeah, we all, you know, our purpose, as you know, most of us who are a little older, perhaps, you know, we're not 20 and thinking that, and it's fine, even some younger people believe and feel this, but, you know, we've come more into the awareness, too, that we can kind of see the changes more in some ways that we go through naturally and how our purpose does change. You know, sometimes, you know, people will come to me and say, well, what's my purpose? And I tell them that, you know, we don't have just one purpose. We're evolving and we may have something at some point in our life that is our purpose in terms of what our soul is wanting us to learn, experience, give, and share. And then at other times, um, you know, that purpose just tends to fade away and something else comes on board. Um, you know, another aspect of who we are is needing attention. And I really like how you wove in how that how the world, how the changes that we're all going through globally and even within our own neighborhoods and, you know, all all that we're we're confronting now on a very large scale is affecting and influencing our sense of purpose. And I think it's making it in some ways, and not everybody. I mean, I feel like it's a slow train for some and for others it's a high speed. You know, we get there more quickly when we begin to understand that, um, you know, what's happening in the world is calling to my attention a a part of me that maybe has been dormant, that maybe hasn't felt um, a calling towards a certain activity, a certain service, a certain understanding about ourselves comes with that. I, I feel like a lot of what's happening and it's not part of our conversation very much in terms of on a larger scale, and I completely understand why. But 
a lot of what's happening is really hitting us emotionally, even when we go into denial about it. Yeah, and I feel like some of the people that are in the most denial about the changes that we're going through, the um, you know, our need to pay attention more and to commit and to really feel what's happening to so many people, animals, the planet, everything. I think some of the people that go into denial quickly on that and really push against it and say, no, no, everything's fine, everything's good, are really the ones that have the most emotional connection to that in some ways, but they can't feel it. You know, the feeling level of that, it's difficult. It's difficult to take in what's happening on an emotional level. And those that are able to do that and to, like you said, kind of wake up to adjust to that, to really see there's a new dawn here, there's something shifting, are people that are showing tremendous amount of strength and courage and really leading. And and even though they're, again, it's not easy, you know, there's a lot of resistance towards that shift and change. but it's happening, and we are downloading new data about ourselves, about the planet, about life beyond the physical realm, and having to kind of shift our frequency to the frequency of what life is. Um, and that's changing us at a very core authentic level, more of who we are is surfacing. And, um, you know, like you said, it, it, it's a process. It's a process of listening, feeling, and being part of our relationship with our own center, our own sense of self, our own soul, but also really a very large part of this is the, the relationship with others and the relationship with the world, too. Nice. And I, I include this celestial world with that, too. Nice. Well, now, if I'm standing in the back of a boat uh, moving through the water and I'm looking at the wake of the boat I can describe the wake as being turbulent I can describe the wake as being smooth is authenticity an attribute of our choices in other words if I choose authentic choices my wake is more in harmony or um, is our authenticity like a template to our persona that says this choice is, um, if I have a choice, I can go left or right. Right is a more authentic choice, and the the idea of authenticity is a template for measurement of my choices. Wow, that's a great question. I I feel like there's probably both within that. You know, it may be that um, that template, so to speak, when we align with that and keep pace with that, it may be that the wave, the energy, the harmony comes more into alignment also. I had a conversation yesterday with a client of mine, and there was no other way I could say this to her. 
um, she was talking about her her work, and she's a, a musician and a singer, and she was talking about how things were changing for her, but she just couldn't kind of understand completely what was going on with her. And I told her that, you know, sometimes in life we have to find where our energy is because our energy leaves us. Not, I'm not talking about our core health energy. I'm talking about our, kind of what we're talking about, that sense of purpose, that sense of direction, that sense of soulful authenticity that's saying, okay, good job on that, let's move on. And I, it's our human tendency to not want to do that. Right. Our human tendency is to try to stay in the safe zone, the comfortable, this is what I do, this is what I believe, this is how life is, and hey, I'm staying here, and I'm putting my flag here, and nobody better tell me differently. Now that's an exaggeration, but we all, to some extent, you know, kind of the human wants safety and security, and change doesn't give that to us, at least on the surface. Um, but yeah, I, I think part of that template is also that that's what I would say. That's when you say that, that's what it feels like to me. It's finding our energy. Where are we being led? Where? is everything coming together for us and that does shift and change for us and when we find that when we accept it when we move into that energy we do feel more harmony even if it's really challenging that's the thing even if externally you know it's oh gosh now i gotta you know i have a new um career will say this old one is, is not satisfying or I'm not making as much money as I used to make or uh, my family doesn't understand me any longer they think I'm crazy for walking away from you know this security whatever it might be a lot of times it brings disharmony to us when we find our energy or when we we adhere to that template but I've always felt, and I still do feel, and I think most people feel this way, that if we have that inner harmony, if we know we are speaking and living our truth, then we can take a lot of the um, outer disharmony that comes out of us. Nice. It, it makes us more resilient, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. So the... Um, service is not per se directly related to authenticity, but our soul likes uh, service and our heart likes to engage other hearts. Is our authenticity like this incoming stream of inspiration like that's coming through a portal within us and and the stream is guiding our authenticity or is it a consciousness that we can have an interaction with because what comes to mind for me is there's a common archetype or persona type of thing um, of the mother the mother that tends to the children that tends takes care of everyone, the nurturer. And if we don't fill our own cup and we only give and give, at some point there'll be a 
uh, a need to rebalance. And and what I'm getting at is when our um, our life purpose or our authenticity is showing us a path in our life, sometimes our ego can um, interpret it in a way that's not congruent with harmony within our own persona. Thus, the mother um, giving, 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 and 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 not allowing her cup to be filled by, or his cup to be filled by stopping and receiving. How do we, um, can we, uh, work with our authenticity from my ego's point of view to to get feedback whether our view of it is is harmonious or because I, I the soul is such an etherical thing it's it's a nonlinear consciousness and a lot of times we can we can get input and and we misinterpret it and we and we take off on a tangent that that really doesn't serve us. How do, how do we navigate that? Yeah, yeah, that's a really really good point. I absolutely under yeah, I get what you yeah, it's a very very good point. Um, and you're absolutely right. If you know, I see things similarly in that way. That yeah, the ego can definitely hijack that sense of purpose it can take that you know we can get in touch we'll say we'll use the um, archetype of mother that you know that you know really being in harmony with that that it's something that gives us a sense of purpose and love and um, it feels right it feels good and we're very happy with it but if the ego starts to make its own expectations of that or, or try to be the best mother, we'll say, whatever that means. Right. Um, or compare ourselves to other mothers or to whatever the ego, however it would misconstrue that. I, I agree. It can definitely create that, um, you know, I mean, we've all seen mothers, at least, most most of us, maybe not all of us, but we know of people perhaps that with any role, whatever archetype that is, that take it to the extent that it's not producing that sense of love, harmony, and nurturing and feeding us. And I think what happens when we go down that path, and this just speaks, I feel, to the power of our soul, even though it is ethereal and it's hard to grasp and we can't really know our soul, we can't really, um, you know, we don't have the five senses, the um, human part of us that just has no capacity to really know the soul. We know it just through experience of it and most of the times we don't even experience it as our soul. But the soul is so powerful that a lot of times what happens in that process is that things fall apart you know the mother becomes exhausted and um we're resentful um yeah resentful doesn't you know it 
it doesn't work, basically. And the ego might still be saying, well, that's because of that person's fault. It's not working because your kids are not grateful enough or your husband's not grateful enough. Or, and, and, and the, the ego will treat, try to hijack even that and blame others or look outside of self and say, or even, you know, with a job, well, if they were treating me right, I wouldn't be having these problems or whatever it might be. Um, but the soul persists. And that doesn't work eventually either. Now, some people never move beyond that, and they really live in a pretty miserable way. A lot of people do that and blame others and feel, you know, they didn't get the right breaks or things didn't um, work out because of something outside of their control. But eventually, I mean, and again, it doesn't always happen in a person's life that they understand that. It's the soul, there's a message in that. There's a message about, again, leading us back into self. I, I think that's one of the, I mean, can you imagine if we understood that, how everything would change, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, the... It's one of the bigger issues, really. Sometimes we're born into a family dynamic that's the polar opposite of our life purpose. And until we kind of tip the teeter-totter over and can get through the lesson and come out on the other side, so to speak, my, my question is, is there a feeling that we can use to discern whether we're being authentic or not. And yet, like, uh, say you pray to God and say, um, God, Goddess, um, I want to have a deeper experience with love with my beloved. And all, <clears throat> excuse me, and all the while, we might be harboring a lot of unresolved anger in our psyche. And to be able to move into more love, we have to go through the anger. And so our minds are thinking, I'm going to go look for love and heal my relationship with love. But the elephant in the room is the incongruent aspects of my persona that impede my ability to more fully embody love. When when our authenticity is calling us to change, is there a feeling or an emotion or some kind of a metric that can help us um, stay in step with the intention of our authentic self? Yeah, wow. I have to tell you, you are one of the absolute most intelligent and spiritual. I've done a lot of interviews. I'm just so impressed by you. Um, it's a coffee. <laughs> I don't know. It's something. Um, all right. I'm forgetting. Okay, the metric here. Um, that is such a good question. You know, I think that takes, I'm just speaking on a personal level and just, you know, from the clients I've worked with and seeing their process in this. I feel like that takes a really long time, unfortunately. I mean, I wish it was a faster process, but, um, it's you know, it's not easy here, planet Earth, in this way at all, that we kind of do forget. 
our soul, we do forget what inner harmony feels like, and we 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 almost have to relearn that. Um, I can tell you at this point in my life, I'm much better at that, but it, it's not something that came really quickly and easily at times. I, again, you know, I feel like the misfortune of my early childhood actually helped me in many ways to perhaps have a stronger sense of that than some people, simply because I kind of was pushed to, you know, to that place because what was coming at me felt so wrong, it felt so bad that I, it pushed me in, into myself more and into a part of myself that felt good to connect with. But not everybody has that early childhood experience, and it does become harder to identify that. I feel like it takes some listening within. It takes being honest with yourself, too. That's a big part of it. It's a very big part of it is to really be honest about how you feel about, we'll say, a relationship. Um, let's talk about what you had just brought up in a, in a love relationship where, you know, you really want to manifest and have this really soulful connection of love with somebody, but there's still unresolved. Um, anger and things that are going to sabotage the relationship. It, I feel like, um, you know, the authentic self in part is that part of you that wants the loving, positive relationship that feels like, yes, that's right for me. That feels right for me. What doesn't feel right to me is to not hope and dream for that and to not try to manifest it. Again, I keep, go, I keep going back to the soul energy as being the strongest power in our lives, even though we tend not to look at it that way. It, you know, there is no stronger power in our life than our own soulful leanings. Now, it can make us miserable if we don't move into that, or it can bring us an immense amount of joy and direction in life, too. But in that example, it feels like that is part of the authentic self, is that truth of I deserve and I love, want that relationship. I trust the soul to take us down that path until it wakes us up, because if we hold that higher sense of self, what will eventually happen is that we will begin to realize that our awareness will move us towards that understanding that I'm not getting that because I'm sabotaging that. Right. And then we go into more self, you know, whatever that might be with that, that therapy or, you know, kind of really working towards releasing some of the anger and pain that we felt. But I think it, even though that happens, it feels like that's kind of a good thing to still want that and to put that out to the universe because when we do that, the universe responds by really waking us up, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, the the I like what you say about the soul as as being uh, such a prominent and powerful persona within ourselves. If we were to, I I've been noodling the past few weeks the. Um, the idea of 
like total embodiment of the soul. Here on planet Earth, we're, we're going through a karmic tsunami, and there's been such suffering on the planet for thousands and thousands of years. The vast majority of humanity has their psyche loaded up, their subconscious loaded up with dogmas and stigmas, as part of the lesson the soul has chosen to go through, if you were to imagine, magically if needed, that you could, like, the the idea of a, you're on the, the beach and you've made the sandcastle, and it's a really fine sandcastle, and it's metaphorically representing your sense of self, that construct that the ego has created. And it's not really you, but your ego is awfully impressed with it. And holy crap, here comes the tide. And the first wave hits it and your ego cringes. And here comes another wave. And the the ego feels like it's it's not as pristine as it was. I think there's a point when we try to more fully engage our soul where the ego turns around and pushes the sandcastle into the wave. In other words, we surrender needing to know a particular idea of self mm-hmm. and and we abandon that need and allow the soul to more fully inspire us if we were to look at that from our own persona Mm -hmm. my sense is we would get multiple arenas of expression that would bring us joy Uh, horseback riding and painting and salsa dancing and cooking and Mm -hmm. and typically people do not have a real diverse robust arenas of expression, what can we do with our ego to make it more conducive, more open, so our soul has more say, our soul has more sway with our moment-to-moment choices as we go throughout our day? Good question. Um, In my experience, I would say that there's a couple, I, I, I think it's more than one thing. I feel, part of that, I would say, would be to um, have some understanding that of, of, the, of the ego's role in our lives. For me, my understanding, what I've come to, is that the ego's role is to express in the world and to help us to empower us, not empower, but certainly to help us to express more of our truths. We get into trouble when we feel we are the ego and we elevate its importance as a power in our life and as something that has truly <clears throat> operating from wisdom in, in, and in our best good, our highest good. The ego is not 
doing that. The ego doesn't have the capacity to know what our highest good is or to act in our highest good. It's just an instrument. It's just an aspect of us that can help us to express more of our soul. We, the problem is, is that we don't look at it that way. We look at the ego as having this power and influence, and it can get us what we want. And it, we, it, it, we allow it to manipulate us, and we manipulate it, too, to you know, devise ways to get what we want, all out of fear, which is the ego, all out of a sense of control, which is the ego. And part of it would be that understanding that that's not going to work if I do that. What do I truly want? Get to the core again. It takes a lot of listening within, not listening to the world and what the world wants, but listening to our spirit, to our inner voice, to our heart, to what feels really who we are. And again, it takes a while to get there, but we can get there. And that's that's something we have to remember is that it's a different way of being, but we can get there. And then the other aspect of this is to, and this is actually really helpful, although it's a little tricky, but I found that if we can love our our ego, if we can allow our ego to feel the love that is within us, it, it aligns better with our highest good. It doesn't know our highest good. It has no idea. It has absolutely not a sense of who we really are and what's really right for us. But when it feels that love, when it feels that we're not in opposition to it, it can align better and it can listen to ourselves better too. Now, like you said earlier, and I completely agree, that's that's not an easy place to get to, but I think it's worthy of saying. Most of the time, the ego, like you said, surrenders because there's a stronger tide coming in, and that tide is the soul. That's the spirit. You know, we talked earlier about writing books, and, um, you know, I mean, I've written 11 books. This last book I've been writing, I still had to contend a lot with my ego. And what I thought was, I, really, truly, it was one of the hardest ones I've written with my ego. And I feel like part of the reason it was harder, and my ego was really trying to take control of it, and it did, I've had to rewrite is because I wasn't as clear in my own soul as to what I was really wanting to say. It wasn't clear enough to me, so I was allowing my ego to say, hey, I know what we're going to say. Right, yeah. Just like that. Um, So the more we strengthen that inner voice, that inner listening, the stronger that tide gets with that good example you said, and it starts to wash away that illusion of who we, the ego has trying to make us think we are. Very nice. Well, um, how do we strengthen the connection and, and perhaps trust within our ego? How do we strengthen that bond between our ego and our soul? Yeah, it's definitely the challenge, isn't it? It's definitely the challenge. Um, I feel like it honestly takes some training, I think, too. It takes our training to... It's funny, because when you ask that question, the first image I see is kind of 
like a dog, having a dog, a pet dog that, you know, you know, you walk down the street with it and it wants to scare everybody and act aggressively because it thinks that it's um, protecting us or, you know, it has a function and I'm taking care of stuff here. Um, but it's, it's, it's unruly and it's, it's pulling us. It's kind of, you know, it's in charge in some way. And the relationship sometimes, that's why I said training, it, it feels like sometimes the training has to come from our soul to our ego to rein it in, you know? To, to, you know, and, and unfortunately most, so many people don't have a real relationship with their soul in that way that we can go to it and listen to it and trust it. Now, implicitly we all have that relationship. I mean, that cannot not be our relationship, but we tend not to, we tend to dismiss it and not really listen to it. We drown it out with the ego. But if we recognize that in that example that, you know, we're the person walking the dog, we're the in charge person here, the soul is, and the dog can get aligned with us, and, and again, you know, implicit in that also is the sense of love because the dog tends to get in line too, the better relationship we have. It, the more it knows we love that dog and we're feeding, we're taking care of that dog. So I'm not one to say we can cut off the ego at all or to, or to um, deny its existence because it's there, it's part of us. But we can love it, we can nurture it, but we have to remember we're in charge and when I say we're in charge I really mean our soul's in charge our spirit that deeper part of us that we're listening to and that you know kind of um, we a lot of times don't give a lot of power to it but that really is where the power is very nice where the power is mm -hmm. <laughs> very nice well, an hour can go by pretty fast. I want to make sure we promote you. So take some time and tell us about your books, your services. Do you work online, in person, etc.? And share with our audience how they can more fully engage you. Sure, thank you. Um, yes, I, like I said earlier, I've written many, several books. Um, most of the books, a few have not been, but most of the books have um, I've gone through Llewellyn publications. They can be found on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You know, they're out there. They're online. Most of the books have to do with, um, I, you know, I, I am a uh, psychic medium, medical intuitive, which obviously, you know, those words again bring up certain ideas of, you know. Who that what that is what that might be but at the same time what I talk about in the book is really what we're talking about which is how to listen to ourselves, how to listen to the voice of our soul because my feeling is that the soul our spirit is psychic it is intuitive and when we listen to our intuition within our heart our heart our, our spirit of what's really right for us where we're being led that is, to me, an expression of our soul in that psychic, intuitive way. So I approach those 
abilities a little different than some people do because I keep going back to the center of self and listening within. So I've written several books on that. I've written um, about medical intuition also. My last book was I'm Still With You, which has to do with how to continue to evolve, grow, and be connected to our loved ones who have passed over. Talk about the the, the um, life review and how we can be a part of that, even though we're still physical, and kind of the journey that continues even after someone passes over. Um, my website is sherrydiller.com. That's S-H-E-R-R-I-E-D-I-L-L-A-R-D. Um, and I always ask people to sign up for my newsletters. Just if you can sign up on the um, website because it does. I, I, you know, I offer different classes at times, different things. I last night I had all these dreams of doing some different work, so that's going to start to show up on my um, website and on my newsletter. Anyone that's free, love to hear from people. Um, but that's that's kind of where I'm at these days. Well, very nice. Well, Sherry, I want to thank you for being our guest. I have. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. As have I. I you are quite an impressive person. Thank you for what you're doing. You're we've been you're we've been talking perfect. with uh, Sherry Dillard, and the topic tonight has been discover your authentic self. Cool. What a nice episode. You know, I uh, I don't think we can ever exhaust our potential. Well, wait a minute. One of these days, we're going to be dead. That's pretty exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But um, the the soul is such a multidimensional, nonlinear, vast consciousness. And until we serenade our soul... Um, come into alignment with our soul, let go of the reins and let our soul drive, so to speak. I'm not so sure we can even comprehend what the potential of our life can be. What a great episode. Um, such a joy. It's We've been doing this for such a long time here on the show, and it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you, the audience. This is why we do it, is to help you discover more about who you are. I'm your host, Les Jensen. You've been listening to a new human living broadcast. If you're a spiritual seeker, you're going to eventually bump up against your relationship with God, especially if you grew up in some of the more classic Western religions. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior, is a spiritual book written for spiritual seekers to help them heal their relationship with God and more fully embody their own life purpose. Forgiven Sinner, God's Last Savior. Get your copy. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next time.